I think I'm on now, right, John? Okay. This morning's scripture, Romans 9, verses 24 through 29. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were my people, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, where they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be of the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. The Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the sharing of the Apostle Paul so many years ago, Lord, and the implications it has on us here today. Father, again, we are in a very difficult portion of Scripture, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit that He would enlighten us and help us to understand, help us to apply, Lord. Help us to see You in a, in a new and an illuminating way, Father. And Lord, I pray that uh, the words I speak be not mine, but be glorifying unto You. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So after today, we will likely, well, I know, I think we'll have one more week in, in nine and be moving on to ten. And and we're going to start taking an even more in-depth view or look at the genealogical Jew and what the future beholds for them or does not behold for them. Now, as you recall, chapter 9 began with a, a lament by Paul. And you, re- you remember that lament, hopefully, that he's praying out or crying out to God, wishing that he could be accursed and cut off from God for the sake of his brethren in the flesh, the Jews. And that was, that was his lament, that was his desire, but he knew that couldn't happen. And so we saw what he desired, and as I said, it was a backhanded way of him saying, the Jews are accursed and cut off from Christ. And that was essentially what he was, the point he was making there. But there was a problem. There was a crisis of sorts as Paul began the ninth chapter. And that crisis was summed up as if God's covenant people were cut off from him, were accursed, then how could us, being the church, trust in what Paul had just told us were the promises of Romans 8? How do we know and how can we trust that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose? How can we trust that? Because if God promised the Jews eternal life and made those promises to Him and now they were cut off and accursed, how can we take advantage of the promises that we see in chapter 8? So that was the problem that Paul had. And that was what he wanted to deal with. And so we've gone through several weeks looking at this, and he has dealt with it in many different ways. But we look at verses 6 through 13. 
And so verse 6 tells us, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. It's not as though God didn't keep his promises. That's what he's saying. For not all who are descended from Israel actually belong to Israel. And we looked at that. We spent a great deal of time on, on that. So he's saying there, there's two separate Israels here. There are those that have the Jewish DNA in their blood, and then there's another group. And we're going to see that that other group is the one that is the true Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they have Abraham's blood flowing through their veins. And we saw that we looked at Isaac and Ishmael. But it was only through Isaac, who was a child of the promise, not Ishmael, who was a child of the flesh, that the promise flowed through. Verse 8, this means, as I just said, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived, had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls." She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So we see Paul beginning to define what the reality of that promise was to Abraham. And how that promise flowed through this group of people. So the promise never was to a bloodline. It was to a condition of the heart that came about through faith. And so Paul's telling us how that all works out, that the true children of God weren't children of God because they were Jewish. They were children of God because they believed and had faith. And that's what flowed through one generation to the next. And in illustrating this, he showed us how God chooses. And we get a behind-the-scenes look at how God works in reality. He showed us that God chose Isaac over Ishmael. And then he went a step further. And he looked at Jacob and Esau, who were twins. Had the same father, same mother, shared the same womb. But just for God's purpose in election, he chose Jacob over Esau. So that catches us up to verse 24 this morning. Even us whom he has called not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So this passage seems rather benign to us because I have alluded to this passage for several weeks now. And so when we get, hit, when we get here, some of the grandeur, if you will, is, is taken away from it or some of the luster no longer exists. But this is the first time Paul reaches out and he brings in another group of people. Before this, we were dealing with the Jews, and we had children of the flesh and children of the promise who both had Jewish DNA. Now Paul's reaching out, and he's grabbing another group of people, and he's bringing them into the fold. 
And it's a big deal. It's a huge deal in God's economy. It's important for a number of reasons, but I'm, I'm going to deal mainly with two. First and foremost, it's important because it demonstrates to us that God doesn't choose based on nationality or race. Okay? We like to do that, don't we? We like to think that we're a little better than somebody else because of whatever nationality or whatever race or whatever it may be. But we see that God does not do that. God does not choose based upon skin color. God does not choose based upon geographic location of wherever we live. So those that think that God chooses America because they're Americans, you're way out of line. You're way off. You're not even in the same ballpark. God did not choose the Jews because they were Jewish. He chose the Jews because of a faith, a relationship, an individual relationship. And we're going to see that play out here this morning and over the next few weeks. Secondly, there are those that will argue to you about Romans 9 in an effort to avoid what we've dealt with over the past two months, that this just applied to the Jewish nation. It was just God's way of choosing a group of people. So set aside everything I just said. And we'll see that that cannot be the case. This verse shows us that cannot be the case. But even going further with that, what makes up a nation or a group of people? Individuals, right? An individual, it comes down to an individual level. And we saw individuals. We saw Isaac over Ishmael, right? We saw Jacob over Esau. It wasn't that we had a million Jewish people and God said, poof, I'm choosing you million Jewish people. No, it was an individual that he worked in and through. And it was that faith that was shared down the line from Isaac to Jacob and his offspring and so on and so forth. So this entire chapter 9 is not just about God choosing Israel. It's about his sovereign ability to choose individuals. I mean, it's the way that God acts, and, and hopefully we see that because I've spent a great deal of time on that specific topic over the past month and a half or so. So we're seeing for the first time in this passage that God not only chooses Jews, but He also chooses Gentiles. Gentiles, non-Jews. Very term, everyone in here. If not for this, we would not be in here this morning. But Paul makes this important statement, and then he's going to go back and support it. And he's going to give us a lot of Old Testament quotes to support the statement that he makes here in verse 24. Hosea. He's going to go back, and this is a quote from Hosea. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So the Gentiles 
We're not his people. But he then calls them his people. And we're going to see this play out more and more over the next few weeks as we get through chapter 10 or start in chapter 10 and go through it in chapter 11. And in fact, we're going to look at the genealogical Jew and we're going to see that they have been blinded. And they have been blinded so that the Gentiles can come in. And it's God's very purpose in doing that is so that we all can be a part of God's eternal purpose. Now, I want you to understand that these are serious allegations that Paul makes. We read it, we think, big deal. Sure, great. But this was big when Paul said it. It was shocking, actually, to the readers. And he uses these quotes from the Old Testament to support his position. And if you look at this, so... Let's take the inverse of this. So he, he has people who were not his people now becoming his people. And the inverse is people that were his people are no longer his people. That's the reality of what's happening. So people who were once called his people are no longer his people. And those who were not called his people are now his people. There's a lot of people in there. But I hope you can follow and understand the point that I'm making. Those who were not beloved are now beloved. And just the opposite is true as well. This was very difficult for the Jews, the genealogical Jews, to hear, understand, and digest. And it gave them a lot of heartburn. They couldn't bring themselves to fully accept this. You see, their entire existence was despising the Gentiles and everything that they stood for, everything that they were. And for a lot of good reason. I mean, they they were justified in some of their, their complaints against the Gentiles. The Gentiles were irreverent. They did not revere God in any way. They would mock God. They would mock the Jews. They would make fun of them. In the Jews' eyes, the Gentiles were blasphemous. There was no way in their mind that they could wrap wrap their minds around this idea that now God was going to pour out on another group of people who had mocked God, who had terrorized the Jews for thousands years now all of a sudden God's going to come to these people and embrace them it was something that the Jewish people and culture could not understand I mean after all their entire existence had been formed around serving God and now you're telling them that God is going to reach out to a group of people that did not serve him that in fact did just the opposite that laughed at the Jews for serving, that mocked them, that did all these horrible atrocities to them, that the God that they had in worship now was going to jump over them and reach out to another ungodly, godless group of people. It was very hard for them to accept and understand this and to be able to embrace this. I think we fail to appreciate 
the divide that there was between the Jews and the Gentiles. We read it and we don't think it's that shocking, but the Jews would read it and they were astonished about what could happen. You recall in the book of Acts, I think it was the 15th chapter, they had a council, a Jerusalem council, well, all the leaders, where all the leaders of the young Christian church went to Jerusalem and they had a big meeting. It was the first meeting of the church. And so they had a big meeting, and the topic of that meeting was, are we going to make the Gentiles be circumcised in order that they can have eternal life? There's problems with this, right? The problems are obviously it's a works righteous salvation if you do that. And that's everything that is not the church. Everything that is not the gospel. So you remember Peter and Paul, they spoke up and they spoke out against this requirement for the Gentiles being circumcised. But there were some concessions that were made. Now you look at these concessions and I, I, you don't agree with them. I don't agree with them on the surface. But whenever you stop and think about the disdain that the Jews had for the Gentiles, they make a little bit more sense. At the end, this agreement was that the Gentiles were to refrain eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Well, does that mean we have to refrain from eating meat sacrificed to idols or we're going to hell? So you see, at first blush, it looks like there's some sort of works going on here. No, the Gentiles had a habit of getting meat that had been sacrificed to idols and getting in the face of the Jews and eating it and mocking them. And that rubbed the Jews raw. They didn't like that. They were made fun of because of that. They were also to abstain from blood. So again, you can see the Gentiles would eat meat that just had the outside seared and inside was blood and blood would be everywhere and they would laugh and poke fun and mock at the Jews for not doing that. It was a game with the Gentiles. They were to abstain from meat of strangled animals, same type of thing, and sexual immorality. The portrait the Jew had of a Gentile was they were sexually immoral in every way. So it wasn't... This notion that you're going to refrain from doing these things to be saved. No, it was the notion is you're going to refrain from doing these things so that we can be in the same building with you. Because we just generally don't like the Gentiles. But if they will stop the silliness that they've been doing and making fun of us for thousands of years, then that will make this connection that we have more appeasable to us. We'll be able to get along and overlook the fact that they're Gentiles. So this dislike was deep and rooted over many, many years between the Jews and the Gentiles. So when Paul says this, it's not something that went over very well at all. Nonetheless, Paul gives them this, and we see that God calls His people not according to his people, but according to his will and his plan.
verse 27 and 28. He quotes Isaiah, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. So now he's getting a little bit deeper. Though there's going to be numerous genealogical Jews out there, there's only going to be a few of them that are going to be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. So here we see that only some of the genealogical Jews will be saved. And this was a surprising statement to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. The Jews thought all of them would be saved and that they were the only ones in that group. The only ones that God would save and look out for. So this was very shocking to them. The Gentiles believed the opposite. That God was outside of their plan. They were unclean, uncircumcised. They had no hope. They were doomed. Salvation was not part of God's plan for them. So God's plan surprised both sides of the aisle in this respect. So hopefully as we see this, this, the, these words that Paul quotes from the Old Testament, they should stymie any idea of nationalism, as I said earlier, any idea of racism. There, there's no room for it because it doesn't exist. God doesn't choose based on that. He doesn't choose based on, as I said, whether we're Americans or Jews or Israelis or Palestinians or whatever the case may be. And I think that we should understand that as we go forward. He, choose according, he chooses according to his salvific plan, not man's plan. Unfortunately, the Jews were arrogant with respect to their relationship toward God. They believed that, that they had him and they looked down the noses, as I said, to, to the Gentiles. And we are going to see God warn the Gentiles about the dangers of doing the same thing. Because he tells us, don't think that you've done anything to deserve this. And don't become proud in your status as being grafted in. Because I grafted you in, I can cut you back out. And bring back in the Jews or any other group of people. And so we're going to see that warning come down the pike. These passages also have a lot to say about the current politics in the Middle East and what we see on TV between Israel and Palestine and the volleying back and forth and the destruction that occurs between the two. And what I'm about to say may be a little controversial, and some of you may not agree, and that's, that's perfectly fine, but bear with me on it because hopefully it will make sense to you as, as we look at it. In the current state, The Jews of the nation of Israel are not God's chosen people. I want you to know that. They're not His chosen people. They are at odds with God. They are rejecting Jesus Christ. And whenever you reject the Son of God, you are not His people. That's just the reality of it. Now we see and you hear churches every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday almost talking to them as if they're sacred. I'm sorry. They're not. They're at odds with Christ. 
Now, we share a great ancestry with that group of people. We do. We share some wonderful heritage with them. You know, all of our forefathers go back through their bloodline, and that's wonderful. But at the same time, we should know and acknowledge that God's chosen people are chosen not because of a race, but because of faith in Jesus Christ. And we lose sight of that. We lose track of that. So we're all... we, we, we tend to want to choose a side based on, well, these are God. No, they're rejecting Jesus. They're no different than the Palestinians. I mean, whoever you want to agree with, that's, that's your opinion. But don't agree with them because you think one is godlier than the other because as it stands right now, they're both lost. They're both lost as can be. Now, we should have reverence for them and respect for them, and we should pray for them just like we pray for all other nations on this earth. But I want you to stop and step back and look and say, look, they reject Jesus. And when you reject Jesus, you're not part of his people. His people is the church. Now, there may be a point in time in the future, and we're going to look at that throughout the coming weeks and months, where he's going to take a group of that, those people, and he's going to bring them in. But it's only going to be because of their faith in Jesus. It's going to have nothing to do with the blood that's pumping through their veins. It's only going to be because their belief and acceptance of the Son of God. And so I, I want you to maybe look at it in a little bit of a new light. I mean, they should be revered. They, they should be given credit for their fathers and, and the history that we have together. And I respect that. And I give them reverence because of that. But I also pray for them in knowing that they've rejected the Messiah. And until and unless they accept Jesus and embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will never be part of the group of God's chosen people. So I hope that made sense, and I, and I hope that you understand it, because a lot of what I see going on in a lot of churches today concerns me, because, folks, they're lost. And both sides in that area over there are lost, and both sides deserve our prayers <clears throat> at the same time, give them respect for what we share and what we have in common with them. We've been grafted in, praise God, and we share that heritage and history with them. Verse 24, I want to jump back a little bit before we move on. Even us, who's the us here? I didn't point that out the first time we came through. Who is the us that is in this passage? It's the vessels of what? Mercy. The vessels of mercy, and we set up vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath, and we looked at them over the past few months and a few weeks. So the us are the vessels of mercy from both the Jews and the non-Jews or the Gentiles throughout all of the world. That's exactly whom God has called. He has called vessels of mercy from every people's, nation's, tribe, you name it. That's how God works, not based upon a, na a nation or based upon a race. It is God that has chosen the vessels of mercy to make known the riches of His glory. And we talked about that last week. If God didn't choose vessels of mercy, the riches of His glory would never be known. And we're going to see that explained here again in the next passage we look at. And we looked at that last week. It is only... And it is only through the vessels of mercy that can see the riches of His glory. The vessels of wrath can't because they don't even believe in God. And so everything that they see around them is 
due to something else other than God and His grace. Verse 29. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So Paul again is quoting Isaiah here. Sodom and Gomorrah were Gentile cities in the Old Testament. They were not Jewish cities, they were Gentile cities. And they were the epitome of sinfulness. The sexual immorality that went on in those two cities was greater than anywhere else on earth. And they fell into the Gentile nature of sinfulness, anti-God. Everything was horrific in those cities. And we know what happened to them, right? What happened to them? God destroyed them because of that sinfulness, because of their debauchery. So what Paul is saying here, that if God had not intervened, if God had not stepped in and sovereignly called people to him by faith, then the entire group, the entire Jewish genealogical nation would have been wiped out just like Sodom and Gomorrah in the same way. Because whenever we are a vessel of wrath, the only thing that we can do is sin and sin and sin more to the point where it becomes a horrific undertaking, to the point where we become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that's the glory and praise that Paul's giving to God. If God had not intervened, we would all be like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would all be like the earth before God destroyed it with water with respect to Noah or during the time of Noah. But he didn't. He intervened, and by intervening, he demonstrated his love for us by showing us his mercy and grace. And because of that, we can see the beauty of God. So don't think that we can pigeonhole God into being what we want Him to be. Or don't think we can pigeonhole a group of people into being who we think God chooses or we think deserves God. God makes His own choices. And God chooses His people. And that choice is based upon faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No nation. No race. Skin color doesn't matter. Language doesn't matter. God chooses from all different walks of life, all different types of people. So when we step back and we look at the pride we have because we're Americans or we're one race or the other, it's nonsense. It's foolishness. God chooses based on His will, not on ours. And any pride that we may have because of that should reflect directly back to Him because it's by His grace we are part of his chosen community not based on what we do not based upon any status that we've gained or anything we have over others there is no place for pride in God's economy and someday when the fulfillment of the Gentiles has come he will go back and he will give sight to a group a remnant of those Jews and they will come along And they will come in by faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, as we...
took these moments to look at your word. Help us to understand, Father, more significantly how utterly useless our pride is with respect to our eternal life. That you choose us not on not based on what we say or do or who we are or who we're born to or who our family is or what color we are or what language we speak that you choose us based upon your own sovereign purpose and will father let us find joy in that help us to glorify you in that help us to share your gospel with people of every nation of every language of every tribe, of every color, because we know how you choose us and that we're no different than anyone else. We've been chosen because of your love and your grace and your mercy that you've showered upon us, not based upon what we do. Father God, may our lives be reflections of your love to everyone that we come in contact with. And may everything that we do glorify you And Father, we thank you for everyone that's here this morning. We thank you that we have an opportunity to fellowship this morning, Father. We ask that you bless the food to nourish our bodies and bless the fellowship in which we partake. And may you be glorified. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All rise. Again, don't forget, plenty of food over there. Everybody's invited. It's already blessed. Gig, you can already go if you want to. May the grace and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Have a very blessed week. Amen.